Hi, I'm Laura Mize from TeachMeToTalk.com. Hi, I'm Kelly Hampton. Hi, this is Chip Gerhardt, Chairman of the Board of the National Down Syndrome Society. This is Rachel Coleman from Signing Time, and you're listening to Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Hello and welcome to Down Syndrome Radio. This is the podcast to learn about raising a child with Down Syndrome. We do our best to give you the straight dad's perspective on issues affecting our children, what works, what doesn't work, and what's truly funny. My name is Mark Owens. I'm here with my good friends Jason Kosky and Rick Kosmalski. And I think I speak for all of us when I say that it's an adventure that we have all enjoyed so far. This is episode 28, recorded on uh, July 22nd, 2014. We have an incredibly distinguished guest tonight that we'll get to in a minute. But uh, what do you say we find out what's happening with the gang? How's it going over there in uh, Delaware, Rick? It's going awesome. Back from convention. So, oh, you're going to give uh, us the We update. are all pumped up and excited. So uh, the convention was awesome. We could spend probably a whole, a whole episode just talking about all the great yeah, we things probably that should. out there in Indianapolis. Uh, but it was just fantastic. World's biggest family reunion, of course. And uh, looking forward to Phoenix next year. So uh, we can talk about that. Oh, Kayla, just she did her first camp. She, she's in dance camp. So I didn't, I didn't oh. know what a dance. I didn't know there was a dance camp, but there is, and it's awesome. And she's loving it uh, all day long at dance camp. And fantastic. she came home today with uh, with makeup on from dance camp. It was they all did their own makeup. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. All right. Yeah, so uh, that's what's going on with me. My my big memory of the one convention I went to was the closing song. Was there like a big uh, everybody dances uh, motivational song at the end? You know, it, it that was an awesome thing. But this year, I don't know if they had a scheduling conflict or something, but there was no closing ceremony in the uh, convention this year. It was just workshops and then uh, then the end. So yeah, all work. Uh, it's a little bit different, but still just as motivational. And there were some... Some really amazing moments with uh, people on stage, and uh, so it was really cool. I don't know. I, I, I still, you know, regardless of, I mean, the programming is fantastic, and all of the experts from all over uh, are there, and uh, it's great to go to, and it's great. I mean, and and the people there are just amazing. So you know, just going and reconnecting with people is fantastic. And uh, if anybody's on the fence about going, definitely go. And uh, on top of that, next year it's at the JW Marriott in uh, Phoenix. It has like a water park, which is similar to what they did in Texas when it was in San Antonio. So, cool stuff. Super man, I'm glad you go. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, you're coming next year. We can get you there. What do What do you say, Jason? It, uh, Phoenix sounds closer to you next year. Phoenix sounds doable. There you go. Yeah, this year was tough. We just couldn't put it together with the baby and the. And the uh, jobs. Sure. Yeah, you get your hands full, man. Well, don't feel bad, you know. And uh, Jason is a is an expert of watching the online um, recap that they have. So they, they have that yeah. again, too, oh, yeah. for people out there. Yeah, we, we should have an episode. Convention from the couch. Is so what it's called. So what's new with Dex these days, Jason? Uh, well, the big thing is um, on July 4th weekend, we did a potty training boot camp. 
Ooh. He's been on and off, you know, going on the potty for, for a long time now. Um, but we wanted to go cold turkey. And uh, so we did over the three-day weekend. We took that extra time and just, you know, sucked it up and did a lot of laundry. And and it's been really good. Is it going to take? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's still accidents. Um, but, yeah, it's really good. I mean, he's doing really good, especially at school. He's doing great. So he seems to have most of his accidents at home because either we are ignoring him or, <laughs> <laughs> or um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a thing. But, but really, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's going way better than I would have thought. Dude, that's a huge milestone. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I know what yeah, that's like. They're like. He's probably like, oh, it's dad. I can go wherever I want to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's cool. You We're men, you know. Man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And, and I mean, um, yeah, it was great. It really, I think, a combination of him being, you know, really ready and then us just kind of going all out for it, just doing it and taking no prisoners you know, getting rid of everything and just diving in um, made it made it work really well. So fantastic, man! Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's, it's, it's good. Not uh, not not much to report here in Richmond. You know, it's summer. Uh, Luke's going to uh, kindergarten in the fall. He seems older these days. You know, he's he's talking more. Can't shut him up. Actually, you know, and uh, he's excited about going to school seems more like a you know like a little boy and less like a you know a toddler not that he was a toddler but you know what i'm saying he just it seems bigger to me these days yeah that's great it's good bad i'm gonna miss i'm gonna miss little luke you know it is exciting yeah we can't wait he can't wait to get on the bus that's the big that's the big thing for him he wants the bus very cool all right you guys ready for our uh, um for our big reveal of our of our distinguished guest yes sure well, I would say that even before we started this podcast and uh, my wife and I were discussing the types of guests we'd like to have, you know, I have wanted to have this person on since, you know, since way back then. Uh, she has uh, kind of exemplified some of the extra things we could do with our son to try to, you know, to, to better him. Uh, you know, my wife would make me watch videos and we learned about, uh, oral motor therapy and all that kind of stuff, uh, from this lady and, and we have actually met her. So now she's agreed to be on. I'm, I'm, I'm very honored. This is, uh, Sarah Rosenthal Johnson. She has over 40 years as a speech language pathologist, uh, 30 years in oral motor therapy. You know, she's essentially the leading advocate for or oral motor therapy, you know, for our children nationwide. She's kind of like the name. Uh, you know, she developed oral placement therapy, which she'll explain is a little bit different. She's the founder of Talk Tools, uh, which is continuing education for you know speech language pathologists and occupational therapists for licensure. Uh, and she also founded uh, SRJ Therapies, where she you know she treats the children themselves, uh, including my son Luke, and you know just makes great strides with with those children as well. Sarah, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is a great honor. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> At least we, we like to pretend it is, so we're definitely glad to have you. Well, good. I hope I can uh, share some good information with you, fathers. Fantastic. Have you been on any other podcasts? 
<laughs> I have, but I, I won for the CHARGE Foundation, or I don't know if you're familiar with that diagnosis, and, mm -hmm. and uh, another one for a diagnosis called Mobius Syndrome. So I'm oh, not... Yeah. I'm not totally new to this, but, uh, you know. You work in the circuit. I like it. I work in the circuit, <laughs> right. All right. Well, tell us, tell us about yourself and, 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 and your family and how, and how all this started. I always like to start there. All right. Well, it started about when I was 15. I was going to be an attorney. And um, during the summer, I had, uh, was working in a a store somewhat like Target, and I had a minor accident, and one of those old charge machines fell on my foot, Ouch. and I ended up getting workman's compensation, and I thought, oh, cool, I'm going to spend the entire summer doing nothing and still collect money, but my uncle, who uh, was a very strong factor in my life, said to me, no, 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 you don't understand, you've been given a gift, you need to volunteer, and I have found a place not far from here where you can be an assistant to a speech therapist. And I had no idea what that meant. I said, are you sure I have to do this? He said, absolutely. About uh, four hours into working with this man who was a mentor to me for many years, I said, I don't want to be an attorney. I need to be a speech pathologist. So changed my life. Breaking my toe changed my life. And it was wow. great. I, I think so, I I think the nation as a general uh, uh, as a general rule made a good move that day. Breaking my foot. <laughs> no, what, well, yeah, toe. well, one less you know one one less lawyer and 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 you know the the great strides <laughs> uh -huh. you've made in the you know in in helping children. I think many people in my family would agree with you, but maybe we shouldn't go down that particular <laughs> pathway. <laughs> but then uh, went off to college and excelled, did really well, loved it, and got out. Um, in 1972, started working with my ideal job, uh, kids with special needs, and at the end of the year, almost quit. And because what I had learned in school really didn't prepare me for working with these kids, uh, I knew about how to develop sentence structures, vocabulary, but unfortunately, as they got better skills involved with communication, more words, more sentences, their speech clarity was actually getting worse because the muscles that were needed for speech were never addressed. So I thought, oh boy, I'm not going to, I can't continue doing this profession. So I said to this man that I was dating, I said, you know, I'm quitting. I'm going to move to Colorado. I've had a, enough of this. I, you know, I can't, this is a cruel joke. And I, I'm just not prepared to work with these children. And he said to me, well, Sarah, someday we're going to get married. And and I have no idea what he said after that. Uh, <laughs> pretty much, I just said, uh, I heard the end. And the end was, so you're going to have to figure it out. So basically, after 40 years, we've been married. We'll be married for 40 years, this man and myself, oh my uh, now in October. And he was a phys ed teacher, and I looked at exercise physiology and looked at the muscle skills of the clients that I was working with, and together we figured it out. And it took about 15 years to put together this program of oral placement therapy, and uh, it's been a great um, accomplishment for myself and my husband, and and we're really proud of what we've been uh, what we've been able to sh to share with other families. So that's a little bit about me. I have three daughters. 
I have uh, six grandchildren. So uh, I'm in a good place in life. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good you know, things. You, you know, when we first found out about our diagnosis and went through that phase that all parents go through where they do like tons and tons of research, you know, one of the things we noticed was that um, the uh, therapies and the teaching methodologies and whatnot seem to have improved in the last, you know, 10, 20 or so years such that, you know, I, I think that the outlook for, for kids born today, or at least this is what we were reading, I don't know, was it was better than it was before when they used to just take children with Down syndrome and, I don't know, put them in institutions or, 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 or other terrible things, or maybe they didn't work as hard. Uh, and some of these newer therapies that, you know, maybe it doesn't seem that new to you, but at the time it, it, seemed, it seemed newer to us, really, really made sense to us. This was one of the things that, you know, we had kind of latched onto because it, it made so much sense. Once we, once we saw our child and we saw that, you know, he, he did have problems with, uh, with muscle tone, you know, that this would be part of it. Well, it's, it's interesting because not every, everybody agrees with that. Um, and when I first started learning, and I, I went to a very good grad school. It was Columbia University. I graduated first in my class. And, wow. you know, when they talked about working with children, it was based on the concept of look at me, listen to me, say what I say. Uh-huh. And, you know, children, if they were going to learn that way, would learn from their mothers and fathers because you talk to them all the time. So there was mo- something missing. And I think most of my learning at that point, way back in the 1980s, 85, 87, around there, was not from speech pathologists, but was from occupational therapists and physical therapists who were looking at the muscle skills related to movement. So that's what I did. I looked at the muscle skills related to speech. So everything we do in oral placement therapy has a functional reason for either improving feeding or pre-improving feeding and speech. So they all go together. Well, um, you know, it's it's it, it must have been interesting to be you know part of a field that was changing so rapidly. You know, like uh, as yeah. opposed to you know a, a very established field where you you know you learn the techniques and. And they make sense and they work, but, you know, to be in it while it's changing seems to be exciting. It is. You know, I don't know if you know of the old uh, singer, um, oh, I'm trying, Harry Chapin. He always, there was a song that I used to love and, and still do. It's called uh, Greyhound Bus, and it says it's not the getting there but the going that's good. So this process of discovering, you know, I've learned so much from working with the children. I, I think that... People misunderstand therapists. They think that we, you know, that that we get, we give more than we get. But that is not true. We absolutely get more than we give. If you change the life of a child and and enable that child to be able to communicate, not with solely with sign or solely with pointing at a picture, but be able to actually talk to somebody, you really improve the quality of that child's life, and, and that just is a thrill beyond belief. Do you think, um, can you, since we just started touching on uh, oral motor therapy and, and the muscles, is there an official definition of that or overview that you can give for people that are just hearing this for the first time? I think the, the easiest way to think about this is that when you first start to talk, your ability to make yourself understood and the, the amount of words you can use are about the same. So if you wanted to say more, you might be able to say more, so that there, there are similarities. 
But then what happens in traditional speech therapy is that we work on language development, more cookie or more want, and then I want more, and then mommy, I want more, or daddy, please give me more. So you expand the, the language. So that's one element of speech therapy. But when there is a gap between what a child is saying on that two, three, four word level and what the listener can understand, that is a called a muscle-based deficit where the muscle can't perform the task of clear speech even though the child is speaking sentences. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, so that's what oral motor or oral muscle-based therapy is, trying to close that gap. And, and my goal for children with the diagnosis of Down syndrome is that whatever they say, everybody can understand. So we want to close that particular gap. And it's not used instead of language therapy. It has to be used together. So it's not one or the other. And then I think the other element that, that explains it is that in the same way that crawling is a prerequisite for walking, feeding is a prerequisite for clear speech. So the way a child's is being fed or a way the way the child is eating will really have a great impact on their speech clarity. For example, if your tongue comes out when you are eating from a spoon, it probably will come out when you are talking as well. It'll be the same functional movement pattern. And we know that for young adults and adults with the diagnosis of Down syndrome, many times they have that forward tongue posture or it's called a tongue thrust. Our goal is to always get that um, system, including lip closure and tongue retraction, to be in evidence during feeding as well as during speech movement. So they're very closely connected, feeding and speech. It, it seems like if you could could, could uh, teach the proper technique while they're eating, you know, the child's always going to have to eat. So then that would almost be like their exercise regime. You know, they don't have to go to the gym or anything. They just have to eat correctly. Exactly, and one of the most important ways to teach them to eat correctly is to use a straw. Um, a straw, if it's done therapeutically, the straw is placed between the lips. It's not on the tongue, and the child is not biting on it. But when you draw liquid through that straw, then you're not only improving the skills in the, in the lips, you're also making your tongue retract into into the mouth and making your cheeks stronger and your jaw stronger. So that feeding technique we introduce with our children with, with this diagnosis somewhere around seven months of age. And what we're finding is that the earlier you get in there, the sooner you can prevent some of these things from happening, which is, I, I think in the old days, we assumed that children with Down syndrome had open mouth postures, tongue was forward, they were always going to have somewhat of a difficulty with speech clarity. But we're not seeing that now. We're, we're getting babies uh, shortly after birth. We're feeding them in an upright posture with a certain type of, of baby bottle. And um, we're avoiding the sippy cup because that really is a, a bottle in another form. We're getting them on straws. We're teaching them how to chew. All of these things are coming together, closing their lips on a spoon before it's removed. And those muscle skills that are being developed through feeding, we then, as speech-language pathologists, transition into speech. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to make that transition. Yeah, we were, we were late to uh, speech therapy because of 
lack of services, but we really lucked out, I think, with the speech therapist we finally got, who was a believer in oral motor therapy. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's the, the main reason or part with my child and the way that we, you know, practiced and that, but uh, my daughter, Kayla's speech is really done well through that. And I only know, I can only attest to what's worked. And just to your straw comment, I can remember, uh, you know, we may, maybe started speech therapy around nine months. And uh, by the time she was one, uh, we got rid of everything except for things with straws. And uh, that really made a big difference. It took her a while to get it. But if she was thirsty enough, you know, she was going to get that liquid out of the straw. And uh, working on things like what you were saying with the tongue and stuff, it really, it really, I think it really made a difference. Well, that's terrific to hear because, as you as you said, there unfortunately are a lot of speech pathologists that um, don't do this type of therapy. They really like to do the language therapy. They think speech is going to come in by itself, but but it isn't. That would be like a physical therapist saying, you know, I'm not going to really work with you because you're going to walk eventually. So you know, let's not do anything with the muscle now. <clears throat> so uh, I I think that it's a big mistake to just think that traditional speech therapy of language-based or, or say what I say is, is going to be enough for these kids. They need that extra little benefit. And the other part is that so many of, of your children, so many of the kids and, and the young adults and the adults that we work with also have something called um, an under-response to sensory input. And what that means is that the reason they stuff food in the mouth or they like high-flavored foods is because they don't taste and they don't feel in the same level. They have a higher threshold for feeling. And what happens, unfortunately, as a result of that, is that speech is also very, very light touch. So if I'm saying that sound of a T right now, I can't, I can feel it in my mouth, so I know that that's how to make that sound, but many of your kids don't have that. So a part of oral placement therapy is that instead of saying, just look at me, listen to me, say what I say. We use therapy tools to allow the child to feel the placement where that speech sound is made, and then they can learn how to do it with repetition. So that's an important factor, too, to remember about the sensory component. That's cool. I didn't know that. Mm. And I, I'm always surprised at that because physicians will tell parents that your child has low tone, but they don't tell you that that also means that they have low sensation. Yeah, well, you know, he he definitely has lower sensation, but I, I didn't think about its uh, uh, impact on speech and how, you know, you need the tactile feedback in your mouth to know that your speech is coming out correctly. Yeah, it's also it. why many kids, if they're not taught to chew early on, especially by the first year, there's, a, there's something called the phasic bite, which is a reflex of movement that we use to transition into what is called functional chewing or volitional chewing. If a child doesn't learn how to chew, then what happens is the food goes in the mouth, they might move the jaw up and down a couple of times, and then they swallow these big pieces of food, and they don't gag because of this low sensation. Oh, well, that right. puts yeah. them at really high risk for choking and gagging. So our goal in this type of therapy is not only to improve the speech, but also to improve the feeding skills for nutritional intake. So just to stop and, and, and form that into a piece of advice for listeners, very basic is, you know, uh, speech comes from feeding. 
you know, feeding starts long before speech and don't wait till you know, don't wait too long to get to get working on speech. Yeah, right you know away. what, that is, is a frustration for me when I have a child who's maybe two and a half come to me for an evaluation and I'll say, well, what is the speech therapist doing? And the family will say, well, we really haven't started yet because he doesn't qualify for speech based on early intervention. They have to do PT and OT first. Well, my first suggestion is that you go to a speech pathologist the minute not the minute, that's exaggerating, but within the first day after your child is born because the way a child is fed, the, the type of bottle, the, the breastfeeding position can prevent the oral motor problems that we see in the diagnosis of Down syndrome. On the Talk Tools website, there is a video, a 15-minute video free that, is, that I would love to have every parent of a child with the diagnosis of Down syndrome after we congratulate them on the birth of their child, show them that video which will tell them how to feed their child because that really makes a difference early on. Prevention yeah, I mean, is so much easier. Like, it, it's, you're developing your muscles and having control of your muscles and, and you need a lot of practice with that, especially with our kids. Yes. And that's how that just really uh, hit home with us. Well, you're very fortunate that you had a therapist who was doing that, and it's getting more and more. Um, this therapy has been referred to as controversial for a long time only because the, there are certain therapy techniques like puffing out your cheeks or touching your tongue to your nose or touching your tongue to your chin, which have been called oral motor but really are not. What they are is, is the opposite of speech therapy. So... For your listeners, if anybody is working on tongue placement outside of the mouth, pushing the tongue forward, touching the nose, puffing the cheeks, touching the chin, that isn't therapy. If your speech-language pathologist does not have a rationale for why she or he is doing a particular activity, and that rationale does not include feeding and or speech, then they shouldn't be doing it. It's a waste of time. But in oral placement therapy, everything we do is related to speech movement or feeding movement. And that's critical. You have to know why you're doing something before you um, get into a program. So, Jason, so it's, it's, uh, how, how are things going with Dex? Have you been doing any sort of speech type or feeding type stuff? Yeah, yeah. We've been doing it for a long time. And then this is what I was going to ask is how... how I mean, but we have the means to pay for a private service, you know, if we don't qualify. So what what, what could someone do to um, push for the speech therapy early, as early as possible? Because I know, I know, at least in California, that, like you said, that they won't pay for uh, speech services, um, you know, until they're two years old or something like that. Well, I, I think the first thing you have to do is educate yourselves. And on the Talk Tools website, there is an area where you can go to to download reams of um, information on why feeding is early intervention feeding is important, what this type of therapy is. So you educate yourself first. Then what you can do is you have the knowledge where you can go to your IEP meetings or to the organization that would be supplying the information and say, this is what we have. How are you going to 
uh, implement this if, if we don't have a therapist working with us. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times the parent is the one that implements the early intervention based on what he or she has learned. I was just right. up in Canada um, last week at a conference and a parent came in and child was about a year and a half and I, I said to her, wow, he, he looks really good, you know, what have you been doing? She said, I read your article called Preventing Oral Motor Deficits in the Down Syndrome Population and this is how I fed my child. So on that TalkTools website, they can learn some really important elements. Um, you know, a lot of this is financial because yeah. it, traditional speech therapy, you can come in and you can sit on the floor and you can play with toys and you can talk about language development, which is really important in putting words together. But oral placement therapy, because it has a tactile component, requires therapy tools to be placed in the mouth, safely, of course. I mean, we're not talking about putting something in that isn't safe, but holding a, a certain kind of a tool or blowing a horn or, or a sequence of straws. So if there is a financial component related to it, sometimes that's why an organization will shy away from it. Um, but what I tell my families is if you are willing to purchase the tool you'll probably find a therapist who will be more than happy to implement its usage. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's one of those unfortunate situations. And we see this in OT and PT as well. You know, that the, uh, if there is a, a physical cost, that it's not quite as um, acceptable. Is it ever too late to start? No, actually, last year, I didn't speak at the, the conference you were talking about that was just in Indianapolis, but I did speak last year, and I, I speak at that conference every other year. And last year, my presentation was on my work with adults, and I showed a 27-year-old man who had, with the diagnosis of Down syndrome, of course, who was very, very difficult to understand. And three months later, you could see his speech clarity had improved dramatically. So muscles can change at any age. It's never too late. You know, there's benefits to working with really young children because you can prevent. There's also benefits to work with older children and adults because when I, when I go from one session to the next, the biggest difference between an adult and a child, do you know what the biggest difference is? Motivation. When you ask an adult to do something, they actually do it. It's, <laughs> it's easy. You know, with a kid... You have to be at the level of the child, make sure they understand what they have to do, but it also has to be disguised as um, a game or an activity to get them yeah. to participate. Yeah. That's why uh, the tools we've developed looks, look like toys, but, but they're absolutely not. They've been uh, developed with an engineer who, I have to admit, when I call him up and say, I have a new idea, you can hear that hesitation because he knows what an anal person I am and he's going to have to work really hard with me because I want perfection for these kids. I, I really think everybody has the right to be able to understood, to be understood. None of, none of these items were particularly expensive, Jason. You know, they were packets of straws of different sizes and, and, and things to chew on and, uh, uh, you know, whistles, um, that sort of thing uh, that I thought were all quite reasonable. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Whatever, but, uh, um, one of the things that is important, I think, to say about the, you just mentioned that it was a packet. One of the misnomers about oral motor therapy is that a, a therapist will pick up a horn 
and maybe at the dollar store or someplace, a toy store, and work with that child and continue to have that child work on that same horn for an extended period of time and report that there is no change in the speech. Well, that would be like going to the gym and lifting up a four-pound weight and being at that same level for two years and wondering why there's no improvement in skill. So what we've done at Talk Tools is we've developed not only um, therapy tools that are designed to improve speech clarity, but we've developed them in a hierarchy. So for example, in the horn kit, there are 12 horns, and a younger child will start at horn number one, and it might take them a couple of years to get through horn number 12, because each one requires higher and higher skill. If they get to the end of that horn number 12, that will have impacted directly on their speech movement through increasing the amount of airflow. You know, when I'm talking to you now, I'm using something called abdominal grating. I have to use a tremendous amount of air to speak on these really long sentences. And that's what you're developing through a horn kit. So each one of the kits is, a, is addressing a specific muscle movement needed for speech. And that's why it's done in, in that kind of a hierarchy. I remember talking about the, um, and you had to catch me, and if I if I remember some things wrong, but the the honey bear that just squeezes its tummy, <laughs> and the little wand of a of a bubble blower comes up out of his hat, I guess. But I can picture the you know the requirements that you placed on the engineer. You know, it has to be spill proof. You know, it has to be you know uh, easy for little hands. And then it was right down to the you know, the thickness of the fluid inside, you know, the bubble juice or whatever, is how much higher quality than the bubble juice. Because, you know, you, you, you try that with the ones that you buy at the, at the dollar store or whatever. And, you know, he can never do them. And he has to be able to blow that first bubble to get, to get hooked. So it was, it was key that the, that the unit worked perfectly in order to, you know, to, to get the chain going. And ah, was, Mark, you were really paying attention. That is very cool. Well, I'm an engineer, cool. so I, you know, I can picture right. you saying, no, that's not going to work. You know, his hands are too small. The bear's got to be thinner, you know, whatever. You know, it's got to be made out of some, some rubber that squeezes easier. Or you can just picture you, you hammering this poor guy or, or lady, you know. Well, <laughs> actually, you know, the funny part is that the engineer probably likes me better than the chemist because the chemist who had to create the bubbles had to have a bubble that was, as you say, a certain weight. It had to have a color in it so that the child could see it when the bubble wiggled. It also had to be non-toxic because if it popped on the child's mouth, it had to you know, be safe for them. And I also <laughs> wanted it to have a light lavender smell because that's very calming. And when I, when I spoke with him the first time, he looked at me and he said, I'm not sure that I have the intelligence to be able to cre create <laughs> this, funny. but he did. But it took a long time. Yeah, I can picture developing that stuff being rewarding and, 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 and fun, to be honest. Well, you're right, it is. I mean, and, and when you see the results for the kids and the parents, and it's, it's just amazing when I get phone calls from 12-year-old kids with the diagnosis of Down syndrome and this one particular child whose name I can't mention, obviously, will call up and my secretary knows to ask a question. The question is, when a phone call comes in, is this a personal call or is this a, pro a professional call? And this young girl always says personal because she knows then she'll be put through. <laughs> and her speech is so good that you cannot possibly tell that she has any diagnosis. Yeah, that's fantastic. And 
that's the best. Yep. What do you say, guys? Any more questions? The tools that you use, do they continue throughout the age groups, or are you just using them in the beginning uh, to get kids to do things or to stimulate muscles? That, how does that work? Oh, that's a great question, Rick. Okay, the the first the first thing you, you attempt as a speech-language pathologist is to see, can the individual say what you want them to say without any therapy tools? And if that happens, if they can say the particular sound or do the particular movement, then you wouldn't use a therapy tool. If they can't, then you have, let's say, think about those 12 horns again. You find out where is the child's highest level before they fail in blowing the horn. Because the horn not only creates the airflow, it also has a certain lip movement that it requires depending on how it's been created. It also creates a certain amount of tongue retraction. And as you progress through the hierarchy, the, the lip uh, movement matches the lower lip sounds because the early horns have flat mouths. The higher ones have rounded mouths, horn mouths, because the higher sounds require lip rounding. So what we'll do is we'll put the child on the program where their highest level is before failure, and then as they increase their skills, whatever skill they master, we then transition in the, ther in the same therapy session into a speech movement and a feeding movement. So for example, if you're working on a flat mouth horn, your speech goals will be your M's, your B's, and your P's, because those are your bilabial or lip sounds. And in your feeding, it'll be closing your lips on a spoon. So as you are using, or as the child is using the movement functionally for feeding and speech, we no longer need the therapy tool. So our goal is just to bridge the gap between what the child cannot do and what they can do. And as soon as they can get that skill, you transition it into function, you get rid of the therapy tool. So most of our clients who have I guess we could call it graduated from oral placement therapy, will never have to use those tools again only because every day they're practicing the correct movement in feeding and speech. Did that answer it? That, that's great. And um, I, I don't know, can you, do you, would you then go back if you're seeing something maybe not progress the same way or get a little worse? Like, for example, my daughter, she's doing great with, with speech. Uh, she has... Uh, with the straw, though, she's always had uh, a little bit of, like, her tongue would come out under the straw. So that was something we had a tough time getting past. But she does a great job with the straw. But, you know, her tongue, like you were saying before, it slips around and the tongue retraction. Her tongue comes out a little bit when she's drinking from a straw. So would we go back and then go through those steps again? Or is it too late for someone who's eight well, years old? Okay, it's never too late. Remember, I work with adults all the time. So the muscles, if you've ever been to Tucson, Arizona, which is where I spend part of my winter, you know that there are old people out there who never um, exercised a moment in their life, and now they're in Senior Olympics because they started exercising. So muscles can change at any age. Don't think there's ever a time period for that. And all of brain science now, all of the new brain science since 2008, shows that there's nothing called readiness anymore. We can learn at any age. So that's, that's not really a factor. But going back to your question specifically about the straw, for example, there are eight straws in the straw hierarchy. Straw number one allows you to put the straw on your tongue. By straw number two, 
there's something on the straw that is called a lip lock, which keeps the tongue from going out of the mouth. So with straw number two, already your daughter will be using her lips and not her tongue. And then as she progresses through the hierarchy, and they become harder and harder and harder, but we wouldn't have her do it um, if it was too hard, where there's certain what are called criteria for success, what would happen then is that we would move her to the next straw. So for example, if she was on straw three, but she couldn't get all of her liquid nutrition from that, we'd have her on straw three for maybe a minute when she started to drink, and then put her back to straw two, which would give her um, adequate skills for liquid nutrition. So you're constantly looking at transitioning a new movement into function, but also working on the next movement that you're going to be needing for feeding and speech. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not that you would go back, it's that you would find the correct level at which he was functioning. But, but you, Rick, you mentioned her speech was doing pretty well. Are there particular sounds that she has trouble with? Or you know, it could be that she has the proper you know, motor muscle tone, but that she just didn't learn how to use straw. Maybe she got that muscle tone from some other, some other method, or what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I know. I know what we did, and I know that you know, as we're talking about this, the idea of pushing and progressing is something that, you know, with kids with Down syndrome, you're doing it in all aspects and you really need to, that's something, that's a huge lesson to learn as a parent is, you know, there's no complacency or any, you know, no part that you're just happy with. You're always going to the next level and, you know, you're looking for things that you can tweak and improve. And it's always been something with Kayla that we wanted to, uh, you know, that we see when she's drinking with a straw. So is it, you know, it's not really taking away from her speech that we could see per se, but um, it's, it's something that makes her different from everyone else so why not work on that with everything else that we're doing well may i ask you a question rick of course what how old is she she's eight she's eight and when she says her s and her z sounds do they sound like yours or does she have a lisp She's pretty good with it she's pretty good with it so i mean the only time she really gets fatigued with her mouth is if you know she's tired herself so if it's been a long day it's tougher for her okay things but uh in general her her, her speech is pretty strong and i i I, you know we think uh you you i I, i'm sure you probably can't remember but you've definitely we've met you before in the past and we've gone through and and she's talked with you and yeah all i can tell you is that um the whole idea of stimulating the muscles in their mouth just like when you're working out and you do a warm-up or something you know a cool down it really has made a difference with Kayla and the, and the way that she eats and talks. And I think, uh, you know, we're, my wife and I are proponents of this. And even like you were saying, there are people out there that say, you know, we don't know that it may not be the, the right thing, but you got to try everything. And if, if you have to definitely give that uh, a good try because it's really, we feel like it's made a difference for us. Oh, well, that's good to hear. That's good right. to hear. Um, you know, and remember that, and I think this is an important thing to say, that children with the diagnosis of, of Down syndrome are not all the same. Um, they're, the way that I like to think of it is that each of these children is the biological byproduct of two parents, and that's the majority of who they are. They're not a child that has... that. A kid with Down syndrome, totally, it's 
Down syndrome is a component or a little small part of who they are. So if your parents have better muscle tone, you as a child with this diagnosis might have stronger or better muscle tone or, or stronger skills than another child who genetically has lesser skills. So there is a variability as there is a vari variability in, in behavior, in um, interests, in uh, sensory systems. There's a variability in cognition and in motivation. And uh, what I've learned in stubbornness, you know, so it's, I, I think that these are children and you're going to see a variability. So yeah, it's difficult for me when I go to a conference and I hear a therapist say, this is what you use for kids with Down syndrome. Well, that's not true. This is what you might use for some children with Down syndrome. But, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years and I've never met two kids that are exactly the same. So the goal that we have in oral placement therapy is find out where this child is functioning and help them to get to the next step. And Rick, you got to get us some uh, some clips of her saying stuff like, you know, hello and welcome to Down Syndrome Radio or something cute like that. <laughs> I have a special guest that wants to say something right now. Oh, now. Awesome. Hi, Miss Sarah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Hello, Who Kayla. is this? Kayla. Oh, Kayla. It's so nice to hear you. Do you remember meeting me? Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> you, you, you do? Well, you asked Dad to show you a picture of me and see if you remember who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Are you having a good day today? Where did you go to camp today? Um, I do the um, hip-hop. Wait, you are a hip-hop dancer? <laughs> yeah. That That is so cool. So you went to dance camp today? Great. Good. Oh, she sounds terrific. Say goodbye. Say goodnight. Goodnight. Good night. Awesome. Awesome. Right. Wow. See, that is such a wonderful gift that you've given to your daughter to be able to have speech that everybody can understand. Good, bravo for you and your wife. That is just really wonderful. That, and you know, and I say to parents all the time, this therapy isn't easy. You know, it, it requires practice three times a week minimum. But if you do the work, your child is going to benefit with the, the level of speech clarity that she just used. Really, very impressive. Good for you. Something, you know, and three times a week is great to say, but it really is like, you have to do it all the time and before every meal. And just like everything else with, uh, you know, a kid with Down syndrome growing up, you put a lot in and then eventually, you know, it, it works. And, it, and, you know, it's directly related to the amount of effort I think you put in is a big piece of it for progression. At least you'll see progression if you do these things. So we used uh, to call it the uh, the toot and chew. Who's going to do the toot and chew tonight? That's what you call it? This is great. A lot of people will call it Sarah's work. I had a, a kid who I'd never met. It was all done over the internet. And the mother had taken a picture off the website and put it on this child's tray. And when I met him that a year later, he ran up to me and he goes, Miss Sarah, I love you. Miss Sarah, I love you. I said, have we met? He goes, every day at dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really cute. Whatever that motivation is. Yeah. Oh, no. Awesome. Anybody have any questions? Yeah, I, I do. So um, if 
is this the, are the tools and the program is that something that that just parents can do or do you need to have a speech language pathologist there to help you well a number of years ago you, yeah uh-huh a number of years ago my brother who um, used to be the director of special education at a very large public school uh, retired and then he started working for talk tools and said uh oh uh, I kinda missed a few things when I was a special ed director uh, he said to me one time he goes you know you're you're focusing on um, therapists but parents can do a lot at home and maybe if a parent can't find a therapist who is willing to work with the child you ought to create something for them so we came up with something called the parent kit and in that there are three techniques there's also a, a DVD of me teaching parents in three hours how to do what is in that kit and it has the horns it has the straws and it has what are called the bite blocks which are the three primary um, techniques that we use so yes parents can be doing a lot however it in the ideal world what I would like to see is a speech pathologist leading this team because parents need to be parents also I mean you've got a lot on your plates already and the other component is that it, I can teach a parent how to do oral placement therapy but I cannot teach a parent how to be a speech pathologist which means taking that movement and bringing it into speech and language so you can as parents and actually we need you because in the old days of speech therapy I used to be able to see a kid three times a week that was long ago um, in an individual session but now if we get to see them once a week it's a lot so what I do is I have my parents doing the oral placement activities at home so that I and my therapy session can take the movement that you've created with your child and bring it into communication. So that would be the ideal. Yeah, I don't think you need the, uh, I mean, it'd probably be better to have the, the, the therapist lead it, but in the end, they're not going to have the time. So it's going to be a train the trainer or train the parents right. kind of a thing anyway. You know, you're going to be doing it. It'd be nice to have somebody kind of check in and, and make sure you're doing it right. But, you know, in the absence of that, I still think it's a good idea. Yeah, and we're not talking about a lot of time, you know. It's it's like, just like everything else, the attention Spanish, Spanish short, before you eat is a quick time. So you're talking like five minutes, you know, before you start. And you're just doing it, you know, a lot of times. But it's not like you're you're sitting down and doing all of this for a half hour before. At least that was our experience with it. I usually tell parents that um, the primary focus would be to getting it into feeding so that the child will continue to do it at every meal, which is, I think, what Mark brought up before as a, as a good plan. The other parts, which work on the jaw skills, the lip skills, and the tongue skills that are really needed for speech clarity, maybe take 15 minutes, blowing bubbles, uh, blowing a horn in a hierarchy a certain number of times, using bite blocks or bite tubes to increase the skill in the jaw, because the jaw is the support system for the independent movement of the lips and the tongue. So the activities, there's usually about four or five of them that are given for homework, and maybe it's 15 minutes a day. Uh, you're right, it doesn't take a tremendous amount of time, but you, the reason that it's so beneficial is that it is the highest level before your child fails. So you're not working at, someone will say to me, well, you're only having him blow that horn three times. Well, that's all that his core strength can support. 
You know, that's all that his abdominal muscles can support. So the, the length of each treatment as far as home practice can be 15 minutes. And in a therapy session, I'll spend the rest of the time taking the movement that I've created and putting it into speech and language. So that part, I, I don't want you to miss that part. Um, and you should fight for that part, that you need a, a therapist who will help you help your child create not only the movement but into the next system which is the feeding and the speech all right i have another question um so just i have a three-month-old typical child is there any benefit to doing a program with with her but how old is she i'm sorry i didn't hear three months i mean she's only three months old so is there a benefit to doing the program right sure. now? Well, do you see yeah, anything sure. happening that's abnormal? Um, I don't think so. Now, then don't do anything. Just love her and enjoy her. You know, what we're looking at is maximizing a skill when the muscle cannot perform the task. So, you know, as a speech-language pathologist, I'm going to say to you that unless you see something or identify something incorrectly, um... I wouldn't make any changes. Now, can I talk to you as a grandmother? Sure. Okay. As a grandmother, I would say, feed your child, because I can't do this professionally, feed your child in an upright posture where her ear is always higher than her mouth, and that eliminates or reduces the risk of ear infections. So that's the only thing I would be doing with a typical child at this point. As I mentioned before, I have six grandchildren. None of them have ever had any hearing problems or ear infections and they've all been fed in an upright posture with that ear higher than the mouth somewhere around six seven months of age we put them on a honey bear you know that's neurotic grandmother or supportive children you know i'm not sure which it is but it's it, it's a good thing i love your different hats yeah i have to have them <laughs> no jason the other thing you can do is uh if dex sees you doing those things with your three-month-old or uh, your other kids, he's more, you know, inclined to participate in it and do it. So if everybody's, you know, doing those these exercises before you eat, it gets him. You know, it, he's he got his buy-in or his attention, or maybe he's yeah, yeah. True. rubbing the side of you know the baby's mouth and he rub the outside of his mouth or something. Along, you know, whatever the whatever the uh, whatever the particular exercises that you're doing at the time. Yeah, that's All a right. good. That's a good point. The only thing I would say is if you are doing it with an older sibling and um, it's very easy for the older sibling, for example, to, because we've been talking about straws, drink from a certain straw, you might not want to have the two kids on the same straw because your child with special needs might say, well, it's hard for me. It's really easy for him. I'm not going to do it. So that would be the only caveat I would put into that but it's good to have them with the support now one of the other things that that happens and um, it just kind of made me think about this is that one of the diagnostic markers that pediatricians look for in children with language delay okay learning new words and this is not only in the diagnosis of Down syndrome but in any uh, developmental sequence for children who can't blow bubbles, who have trouble blowing, 
that's a, a real indication that they're not coordinating airflow with muscle movement for speech. So early, early on, one of the things that you can do with a young child with the diagnosis of Down syndrome is at meals or before meals, everybody pretends to blow on their food. Then that child may imitate the sibling or the parent and learn how to blow earlier, which would be really good prognostically for, for the treatment. That's a good one. Sneaky. Mm -hmm. I like it. What about, I mean, I have anything to do with it, but what about spitting? Like, um, I, I'm always trying to get Kayla, like, to spit out the toothpaste, and we have a tough time with that. Is that is that in the same kind of realm, or is that separate? No, that is a really, really hard task to uh, perform. And I'm going to suggest that you email me and um, or go onto the Talk Tools website and ask for the protocol that we use for teaching kids to spit. And we, I'll send it to you um, in an email. It's very easy. You know, what, I think one of the, the keys to working with, with children is called task analysis. And that means that if you have a goal, you find out where that goal is, and then you see where the child is on the path to that goal. And sometimes we think that if they're um, where they are, that they could go a long distance to get or achieve that goal, when in fact they need seven, eight, nine, ten steps in between. So task analysis is what uh, really is a, a huge component of oral placement therapy. Look where the child is, where we want them to go. How can we give them tiny steps so that they get the skills that they can go to the next. So spitting in this hierarchy that we have has about eight steps to it. And you'll just have to find out where your child is functioning and then follow that protocol. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. We have that same problem with the toothpaste. Mm, it's a tough one. I in a watermelon seed spitting contest last night to try to get her to do it a little better. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, you and I would work very well together, I think. Because the most bizarre um, conversations usually up, end up in some really good therapy techniques. Um, wow. Got to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and unfortunately, you know, that kind of brings up something that's frustrating to me is that in my education, when I was back in, uh, in grad school, we were taught that if you're working with a child who has a particular problem and you identify the problem and you try what you've been taught and that doesn't seem to work and you try it again and it doesn't work, you try it again and it doesn't work, you have three options. One, you can continue to do what doesn't work and, but that's professionally, I think, irresponsible. The second is you can discharge that client because what you're doing isn't working or the third is you can be creative. You can look at what you see, you can try something, you can try different things, and when it works, then you say, oh, that was pretty good, maybe I should try that again, and maybe I should try that with another child. And that's how oral placement therapy was developed. Unfortunately, what a lot of the young people who are graduating now from programs are being taught, you can only do what is research-based. So that means that if you don't have a specific research study, you shouldn't be creative. And that is just, that doesn't work. You know, you have to be able to, within a session, 
be creative. Well, what that is called is evidence-based research. So evidence-based practice is when you are in a therapy session, you try something, it works, you try it again. But many of our students are not understanding that that's what evidence-based research is. They think it is the study that's done at a university with 150 people. That's not the information. So when I hear from some people that you, you shouldn't do oral placement therapy because it's not evidence-based research, my response is, yes, it is. That's what all of this is. We develop techniques. We use them in our clinics for six months before we teach them. And you fathers are using these techniques. You see them work. That's evidence. So we, we've got to get past this concept of um, or confusion as to when this therapy is, is beneficial or any technique. You've got to get a, a therapist who's really willing to work with your child, see what your child is doing, and figure it out specifically for your child. All right. All right, what do you say? We have any more questions? You guys no, ready? To... I know. That was, that was fantastic. Ready to move on to uh, moments of the week? or? Sure. <laughs> Whoa, I guess you guys got some real good moments. <laughs> really excited. I'll start if you want. I can't wait to, to hear. I was thinking that uh, uh, your one about the uh, um, I see you every day at dinner was was pretty much that's 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 what we're talking about are these like little things that happen to us in between episodes that we want to remember that are particularly cute. Uh, story of the week, I guess when we first did this, we were doing a podcast every week. Now it's more like every month, but uh, you guys want me to start? Yeah, go for it. Luke has been into pretending. I mean, he likes to play pretend for quite some time as far as like, you know, shopping or uh, kitchen or whatever. But he's been pretending to be different people. And it's very funny to watch yourself be pretended upon. <laughs> like, you know, I tend daddy. And like, you know, the things that, that, that he sees in me are, are, are funny and the things that he sees in my wife are, are, are funny. But the, the funniest thing is when he, when he pretends to be either one of us, then he calls the other one honey. And he says it really funny like... <laughs> Bye, honey. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. And then and that's when you know that he's you know he's pretend daddy or or, or, or pretend mommy is when he starts calling you honey. It's awesome. Hey, honey, or does your wife say honey? Huh? Says honey. Or does he just come up with that? No, it must be. I mean, I I'm trying to think if we do, but we must. I mean, he didn't make that up on his own. It must it must be, you know, uh, uh, something that we both say. <laughs> that's awesome it is it's it's hilarious because it's it, it, I, I i gotta get him to you know just just like you had kayla come in i gotta have him come in and, and record it because the way he says this is h and it's it's just it's a little southern it's i don't know it's, it's hilarious awesome all right who's next we were at uh we were just shopping at the supermarket last night which led into the the whole spitting contest we're at uh at the supermarket, and uh, Kayla and I, and we had to pick up diapers for a brother because we were out. And uh, I was like, Kayla, come on in here, pick out whatever you want in the supermarket, pick something out. You know, you can have one thing, whatever it is, you pick it out. And there was a, one of those like little round watermelons, and she picked. It was cut in half, and she's like, I want this watermelon. And I said, Anything? You want a watermelon? And she's like, Yep. So she picked it up and she put it in the thing, and I'm and I. And I we're leaving the supermarket and I'm like you know daddy would like to can daddy have your that watermelon because I think I want that and she was like no 
but we can share it. And then she's then she gets into the and then she, we in the driveway and she's like, "How about if we share it, me, you, and mommy?" And uh, so that was pretty cool. And then so we ended up all like eating out of a watermelon together with uh, the one that she picked to buy. So it was a pretty cool story. Good, good man, the watermelon of love. And it turned. And we ended up saying, okay, from the kitchen table, can you spit into the sink with uh, a <laughs> seat? And there's watermelon all over our kitchen as a result. Awesome. I think I want to be a part of your family. That sounded like a lot of fun. All right, come on over. We'll see you. <laughs> Thanks. What do you say, Jason? That's hard to top, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, you know, I was trying to come up with one earlier today. This whole potty training experience has had lots of good and bad moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough, dude. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, just just the, he's so happy when when he has the, when he first you know went to school with his under with his underwear on. He was such a happy a happy guy. And the first day, or the first in that first week, the after maybe a day or two, he came home with the same ones that he went to school on the Batman ones. And he was so excited. He was like, Papa, Batman, still a Batman, clean and dry. That was the thing that we've been doing the whole time. We have these undies on, we're going to keep them clean and dry. And so he came home and he was like, Papa, Batman, clean and dry. Sweet. And like, all right. Yeah, so a lot of good experiences. I always found it hilarious that we put our, our, our heroes on our underwear so that they can be, yeah. you know, <laughs> they can be soiled. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, clean and dry, man. We should do, like, like we said, we're going to do an episode on the whole potty training thing. I think that's a good topic. Yeah. Sarah, do you have any other stories or you want to stick with the with the uh, uh, see every day at dinner? I'm trying to think. Maybe a grandchild story? Um... I got a ton of them. Let me see. Let me think of a good one. Looking at my grandchildren right now. My granddaughter, Olivia, is six years old. And she lives in Colorado. And every once in a while, she has a bad day. And when she was little, whenever she had a really bad time and she was... Um, uh, under the weather or just unhappy, my daughter would call me up and she'd be frustrated and I would say, put Olivia on the phone and I would sing to her because we, we don't live in Colorado. So over the years, whenever Olivia gets upset, she goes to her mother and she says, call grandma, I need grandma. So last week, the phone rang and it was Olivia and she said, Grandma, I'm having, she's six, I'm having a particularly difficult day. I said, what do you want to do? She goes, Grandma, you know, let's sing when you're happy and you know it. And we sang it and when she was done, I said, how are you feeling? She goes, I'm all better. Thanks, Grandma. Bye. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, music, love, they're all connected. It's, it's wow. wonderful. Music is great, isn't it? That's my story. Mm. All right. Well, um, where can we go uh, uh, on the Internet, Sarah, to find out more information about your various uh, organizations? Okay. The, the name of our company is Talk Tools. So the website would be 
www.talktoolstools.com. And it's a pretty extensive website. Our goal is to educate parents. There's a whole section uh, for parents about um, not only what we do, but also if you're looking for a therapist. And then um, there's an, another section with resources. And again, if you are interested in learning more about it, there are many, many articles and research resources. studies. Yeah, I'm and looking at them now. It's a lot. I, I've written a lot of, I'm, I've just finished my uh, fourth book, all looking at um, oral placement therapy for different populations. My most recent one is for adults, um, not only with the diagnosis of Down syndrome, with, with any muscle-based deficit. So there's a lot there, and we'd love to have you visit us. And the other part that I think is really important with what we've done at Talk Tools is that there's a information at Talk Tools that if a parent has a question or a therapist has a question, you email us. There are seven of us who answer questions every single day. So uh, don't feel uncomfortable about asking or if something you heard in this uh, radio show didn't make sense or if somebody else has a question about oral placement, just email us. And if you don't hear from us within two to three days, I'd be really surprised. Um, do you have any sort of uh, um, appearances coming up? Oh, yes. On the website is our schedule. There are seven of us that teach uh, not only in the United States, but internationally. So if you want to meet me in Chile, you can come and see me there. Sweet. Um, I, I think like I that. have a couple of classes in the next couple months, uh, one in New it's York, like another in New Jersey. I think I'm going shops. to Baltimore yeah. after that. But in my in the last 15 years, what I've really made an effort to do is train other speech pathologists to teach so that I can eventually at some point retire, which uh, I would like to do in the future. But um, there, so there are many of us, and I think there are about 11 different classes that we teach, all on different aspects of oral placement therapy. So that website is really rich with, uh, with information. Well, fantastic. And so, so you also meet with um, kids too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Actually, so how do, how does one go about doing that? Well, on that website where you go to information at talktools dot com, you there's an area. Uh, well, actually, on the regular website, there's an area called find a therapist, and these are therapists that have been trained by myself and also the seven clinicians that I've trained. So there might be one right in your area. Um, otherwise, if there isn't and you want to contact one of us, there are email addresses next to all of our names and you can uh, find the person closest to you. And, and what we really specialize in is doing an evaluation of your child and then writing what is called a program plan specifically for your child that your therapist can implement. So that's our goal. Our goal is not to increase the amount of children we see for therapy. Our goal is to help you to find what is needed and use the therapist that your child already knows and already likes to be able to implement that. Uh, and again, in the other scenario, many times when you don't have a therapist, uh, the parent ends up doing the program. There's, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. There's three in California. It looks like uh, Tracy Andrew, Heather Peterson, and 
Hessian Hogan, uh, Beverly Hills, I, um, Danville, California, and San Rafael. And, and the other part about that is that those three are ones that have gone through mentoring with us. So they are at a very high level. If I were a parent in any location, whether it's in California or, or any of the states around the United States, I go to um, the phone book, which now, of course, is online, and go under speech language pathologist or therapist and call and find out if your local therapists have taken classes with us because there are five training levels that we go through. The people on the website have, are at a pretty high level. The other ones, many of them have taken two or three classes with me. They're not listed on the website. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I, I want to give an accurate number, but I'm going to say that in the last 20 years, I've probably trained, I don't know, 12,000 therapists in America. Wow. There's a lot of people out there who are doing this therapy. Most of them, unfortunately, are in private practice. And I say unfortunately because the schools are not adopting this because you know in a school, if a school recommends a treatment, then they also have to supply the therapy tools. So that has been a big issue in California where the school systems are not willing to supply the therapy tools. But to get around that is that parents have to be willing to buy that parent kit, bring it into the school and say, this is what I would like for you to do. And I, I, you don't find resistance then. It's just when they, uh, they have to pay for the tools. So there's a lot of ways to get this therapy. And, and if a parent who's listening to this or um, you talk to somebody, if they can't seem to find a therapist, have them, again, call or um, email talk tools and see if there's someone on the database who, in your particular area, does this kind of therapy. Go to your local advocacy group, and I'm sure they can help you get get it done and get get the resources to make this happen, or get the get a scholarship or something along those lines. That's that's how we got introduced to it as well through our. Oh, local. is that right? That's good. And you know, I have to say that I've been invited to many buddy walks. There are buddy walks all over the United States, and many of them earmark oral placement therapy techniques or tools as part of what they are um, uh, focusing on. And when I speak at a parent group, which I do whenever I, whenever I travel, when any, whenever any of us travel and, and teach in a particular area, we do a free parent presentation talking about what it is that oral placement therapy is. And during that time period, what I find is that there are many families who in their parent groups will come together and buy some of the videos that maybe um, we've made or some of the thera products, therapy products and use them as a lending library. That's a really good way to share information. Yeah, All of the classes that I teach or, or that we teach are on video or online. So uh, if, if you can get a parent group involved, that really defrays the cost for a lot of this. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you have been listening to Down Syndrome Radio, episode 28. Is that right? Thank you for spending an hour with us. If you'd like to learn more, go to DownSyndromeRadio.com. Uh, definitely like us on Facebook at Down Syndrome Radio. Rick, catch me if I do anything wrong. Emails go to DownSyndromeRadio at gmail.com. No. 
Tell me the email again, Rick. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I had it right. Excellent. Uh, yep. And of course, we would love if you went on down, uh, went on to uh, iTunes and left us uh, a positive review as well. You can get the podcast obviously on our website or through iTunes or several other places have uh, you know uh, copied them to different places as well. So, uh, all That's right, good. Oh, right. Any uh, anything uh, else, uh, Rick, Jason? Before we close out. All righty. Nope. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor. Yeah, sure. Hey,